I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, we've talked about the infrastructure plan, Six Ways to Sunday. Now, of course, the. Democratic uh, partisan plan, the reconciliation plan, uh, whopping, I don't know, four to six trillion dollars of things packed in there that they took out of the bipartisan bill. But they had to have somewhere to put them. So they tucked them into the uh, what will be the uh, reconciliation bill. And as is usually the case in Washington, D.C., if you've got a uh, big bill with a big number, you can uh, tuck a lot of things in there on page uh, 876 that no one's really going to notice. But a lot of those have lasting impact uh, and uh, are very detrimental to the future of the country. Uh, Brad Palumbo is a staff member and policy correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. He joins us live now. He uh, wrote a piece this week. Uh, where he explains how some progressive lawmakers are tucking a few things into that reconciliation bill that actually could put us on a path to be closer to socialist health care, socialized medicine. And uh, Brad, thanks for joining us today. Tell us uh, what's getting tucked into page 864. Hey, good afternoon. And just like any time you have one of these super long mega bills, they can slip stuff on page 400-something and hope that nobody notices, because if we're being honest, Even most members of Congress don't read the super long bills that they vote yes or no. Maybe their aides do, but let alone members of the public and voters. They're working. They have families. They don't have time to read, you know, spending bills. But Washington politicians know that, so they slip things in there. And what they slipped in here was a longtime Democratic goal is to bring us to Medicare for all, so-called Medicare for all which is really socialist government health care. They didn't put that entirely in this plan, but they did put in a provision that would take us a little bit closer to Medicare for all. It would lower the Medicare eligibility age from its current 65 to 55 or 60, and it would expand the program to cover dental work, glasses, eye surgeries, and hearing aids. The net effect of this would be 10 or 20 million people pushed on to government health care, just taking us a step closer to that eventually becoming the only option. Yeah, and so let's let's drill down on that. Uh, so you, you take the uh, age for Medicare eligibility from 65 and say you take it down to 60 or to 55, you expand the program, uh, and then how does that move this big swath of people who are currently on uh, private uh, individual uh, health care plans 
uh, suddenly they're on a government plan. What does that do in terms of cost? What does that do in terms of service? Uh, where, do, where does that put us for the long haul? Well, it, it would have um, some serious budget problems. For one reason, most of those people are probably going to make the switch because the Medicare plans are subsidized by taxes, whereas the current private plans that they're paying for may not be. Um, and so we already have a serious budget problem, as I'm sure you know, with multi-trillion dollar deficits. But Medicare is one of the biggest drivers of the federal budget crisis. Its major trust funds are projected to reach insolvency within the next five years. Mm. So adding more people onto it is just going to make that red ink hole even bigger and speed up that trend. And eventually, I mean, the thing about government and welfare is that when it expands, it almost never ever retreats backwards. So you're going to end up with um, just little piecemeal moves because they know that the American people don't want Medicare for all. They don't want socialized health care. They're going to try just piecemeal moves to move more and more people onto government health care because eventually they'll get there anyway. Yeah. And Brad, you raise a, a really important point. I just want to I just want to dig a little deeper on this. Uh, and that is that we currently have a plan that is scheduled to go bankrupt in about five years or so, according to, to most experts there. And then if we add a whole bunch of new people onto that, uh, why on earth are we adding more people to a program that's going to run out of money uh, in the short term anyhow? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you and I had a credit card bill that we couldn't pay and we went out and spent thousands of dollars more on it, we, we could tell that that's the worst thing you could possibly do, right? Yeah. Um, but because the difference is that the people in Washington aren't playing with their money. They're playing with ours. Mm. So it's like if you were running up a credit card bill for somebody else that you don't know and don't particularly care about, maybe you wouldn't feel so bad about, you know, setting them up for faster insolvency if it's going to get you a what you want today. And the thing about politicians is they have every incentive politically to promise everybody free everything. And Joe Biden isn't going to be president five years from now. Most likely, I would say he's not going to even run for a second term. But he doesn't really care if it goes bust eventually. Something like this would be a political winner for him now, and his voters and his base might like it. And like most politicians, they don't really think long term because that's not their problem. Yeah. Brad Palumbo joins us uh, again, staff member and policy correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, great piece and, and great perspective in terms of uh, some of the things that are going to get tucked in to this reconciliation bill uh, that are going to have some really lasting impact uh, on us in an area of healthcare. Again, remember, this is an infrastructure uh, conversation that we're supposed to be having, and uh, suddenly it's looking like uh, Medicare for all on some socialized medicine. Uh, to go along with those roads and bridges. But, uh, Brad, appreciate your perspective. As always, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, for me, that's just so troubling uh, that if you're going to lower the eligibility age from 65, again, part of what is supposed to be a conversation about infrastructure, what is infrastructure, and we're going to lower that. We're going to put a whole host of people who are currently on private insurance uh, onto Medicare. Again, it's it, it's going to run out of money in the short term anyway. Uh, and now and now we're going to add more people to that just to accelerate that, uh, which is going to require more money, more taxes. And, and so this is to me part and parcel of the problem in Washington D.C. is that whenever we do these massive bills that nobody 
reads or even has time to read. Here, here, here's a little secret we haven't talked a lot about. The compromise bill that everyone has been cheering about has not been written yet. There is no legislative language yet. It's just, it's just an idea. It's just a framework. The reconciliation bill also has not been written yet. And these are things, this, this is not easy stuff. This is complicated uh, legislative text that's going to have to be written, but it creates space for exactly what Brad was telling us about, and that is that people are going to drop in some things that they want, especially into the reconciliation bill that's only going to require and is only expected to get Democratic votes. And so these are the kinds of things that we have to be aware of. And sometimes I know that can be very depressing and discouraging to think, oh, my goodness, is there are we just a runaway train? Is there anything that we can do? Uh, and the answer, of course, is is yes. And the important thing is that we're forcing these things to be done in public with transparency in front of the American people, that there is a real process for votes, for amendments to improve bills, to create compromise, uh, that it's done, as I said, in front of the American people. And then we have votes that we can hold elected officials accountable for. And that part is the we the people part. We have to demand that. We have to expect that. We can no longer sit back and listen to Democrats and Republicans alike say it's complicated or we're going to do this behind closed doors and then we're going to come out for an all-or-nothing vote at the last minute because there's some cliff or Armageddon or whatever it may be uh, that they create, this fake fight, false choice at the end. And in the process, they do things like this. They tuck in things uh, that have massive impact on health care, our economy, jobs, opportunity, upper mobility. And so we, the people, have to make sure that we're holding everyone accountable for that. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, I know many of you have just been waiting for the U.S. Department of Defense to release their report on UFOs. We'll talk about what that is, what that means, coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.